and welcome to the newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin. I've watched a lot of wrestling. I must say, uh, as Austin remarked to me, I, I am rather shocked that today we are in fact going to be watching more wrestling and that my noobishness will actually continue to be lessened today. Yeah, we after two weeks of just not talking about actual wrestling, we are we are back to form. Hey, hey, excuse you. There is nothing more actual about the the emotions I wrestled with while listening to Hulk rules and the the aliens that were wrestled with in Invasion from WrestleTopia. Yes, I, I, I believe you in on one of those statements. <laughs> but enough of that. Today we we end another plot arc on this on this on this uh, channel uh, on this show because we have we have been talking about Summer of Punk. Um, was one of the last uh, stories that we did. It was one uh, in 2020, I believe the pipe bomb was one of our last episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and now it is, uh, we, we have reached our end. Uh, uh, yeah. Another, another era. end, and this one, this one is especially heartbreaking for me because I have loved the summer of punk. I know Austin has been gearing me up to say the last episode sucks, but up until now, the summer of punk has been an absolute highlight for me. There's been a lot of good and a lot of bad. We've um, we've t- we've discussed on the show. Obviously, people know like I love 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 Lucha Underground. Um, I couldn't stop saying enough good things about thing uh, uh, anything we watched in like the Brody Lee tribute or uh, that one uh, AEW Dynamite episode we watched. But summer of punk especially speaks to me in my sensibilities because. Longtime listeners uh, will recall how very early on I discussed the Shakespearean uh, feeling that I got from kind of wrestling when we first started watching. And Summer of Punk is the culmination of that. The, the, The writing and the scripting and the acting, it was peak theater. And that is that is the big thing I love about wrestling is when it is when it feels like I'm watching and especially body over the top mildly interactive theater show and that's what summer of punk has been so to reach the end is a sad stroke for me i have to say yeah um to uh to be perfectly honest this story i i guess it doesn't quite end here in the in the tradition it isn't like this is you know wrestling is ongoing always and stuff does happen on this show that leads into the storyline continuing but i want to get off this train while it's still i'm still happy about it Mm -hmm. and in fact i watched we'll talk more about what happens i watched the next month of of shows after this just so i have a good understanding of where this plot goes afterwards so i can talk about it in terms of the full the a more a more full uh, what goes on, but the, in terms of, in terms of, I think like the peak of this storyline was obviously money in the bank, but SummerSlam mm. 2011 was very much like the, the end of this period of time where it was the hottest thing going. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, money in the bank was exceptional, uh, mm. for what it, for what it presented as the culmination of a long running story. This is the most fulfilled I have felt by a long running story in what we've covered so far. Um, and I mean, 
you know, Austin, you had your gripe last time about, you know, you thought Punk showed up too quickly afterward. But even then, they managed to get a good moment out of it. So mm-hmm. we're still at a point where, like, even if things aren't going to match up to the same level as Money in the Bank, um, I appreciate, like, the lengths to which they're, they're, they're going to still try to maintain some momentum, is, I think is what I'm going for here. Yeah, and I, I think that's as good a segue as any to kind of talk about is that um, I've watched two episodes of Raw before in between here to get to a SummerSlam. And I want to kind of talk about is this whole time I've been working on work. I've been coming at it from the perspective of like, where does it fall apart? Because yeah, it does. And I wanted to figure out where. Because it's so, because that that first part was so amazing, mm. almost groundbreaking, or at the very least, very, very, um, you know, revolutionary for its own time, if not necessarily wrestling as his over for forever. I would say and, for the modern era, from what I understand, mm-hmm. it is, um, it is highly unique in what it presented to the point of being able to say it was a bit revolutionary. Yeah, it was in an, it, it, it comes by in this peak time of WWE PG. This is it. This, this right here is kind of the peak of WWE PG era as people understand it in the late two thousands, early 2010s mm-hmm. and punk felt realer than all of that. Yeah. And, so yeah, I've been coming at it from this thought of like, where does it, where do the wheels start coming off? And I think I found it hmm. watching the two. It's not that it was bad necessarily, but it stopped feeling as special, I think. So I'll go ahead and talk about it. Is that, you know, the after the week after punk comes back, he, um, gives, he addresses the crowd and he kind of, uh, cements his own face turn because remember at money in the bank, he was still technically a heel, but you know, the time off and the people really buying into the storyline kind of made him into the baby face. Mm-hmm. And so now he comes this speech and, and it sound and it's a lot of like, he says that he came back because he realized that he couldn't do the revolution or whatever. He couldn't be the voice of the voiceless from his couch. Hmm. He has to be here. He has to be in the, in the middle of it in order to be the revolutionary figure. He wants to be for the, for himself and for the fans. That was basically, that's basically the gist of what he was getting at. That's why he came back. It, it fully recenters his motivations because when he starts at the pipe bomb, it's all very him. It's about me. It's about, I'm not being respected the way I should be. And now it's, it's more about the people at large. Mm Mm-hmm what they want and need. And he immediately runs afoul of Triple H. And I hate to ramble too long about this, but I'm going to say his stuff with Triple H isn't good. Or at least it doesn't even come close to the stuff with Vince McMahon. And I have spent, I watched these episodes weeks ago, so I've had a long time to sit on why I think that is. What is it? that why it doesn't hit the same notes. And I, and I think there's a few things is first of all, the angle starts again. We're talking about this idea of, of funk punk feels real in a time when WWE never felt less real. And the thing is, is that when he's making attacks on Vince McMahon, it feels real because Vince is legitimately the owner. He's talking about things that, 
legitimately is within Vince McMahon's power to affect. Triple H, while he is a quiet, he is being set up to be a figure in the company for real Z's in real life, and <laughs> especially by now, ten years later, he is kind of a pretty prominent figure from a cre- from a you know a creative perspective. But you know, in 2011, he's a lot more kayfabe in charge than he is really in charge, and so Punk kind of having to play off of the kayfabe person in charge i don't think hits the same notes as it would when he's attacking the real person in charge because i think that's the first problem yeah i can see that i mean they do a good job uh, Mm -hmm. at at setting up the sort of potential ousting of mcmahon in kayfabe Mm -hmm. but the way they perform it the audience is kind of made to understand that this is kayfabe Mm-hmm. We are watching a fiction go on here. While sure, there are probably parts of it that are reflective of things that are happening behind the scenes, mostly in Triple H's mm-hmm. ascension, we are made to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's part of the phoniness. So, if you're if they if they start to like cross over the punk stuff with that, I can absolutely see why that leaves a sour taste in the mouth because it is tangibly phony. Yeah, uh, my second thing is, and this is kind of getting into a, a more philosophical discussion about how heel authority figures work and why Vince McMahon in particular was such success. And I think, obviously, Vince being a one-of-a-kind a performer in his own way, <laughs> but from a writing perspective, what, what makes it work so well? And I think that the thing that is under, I would say it used to be underrated, but I think people have come around on it as time has come on, is the fact that Vince was never afraid to show his ass. Yeah. Like, he, like, it was all, his, if you look at his stuff with Steve Austin and even the stuff that with Punk that we saw when he, when he was involved in it in that way, Vince McMahon was not afraid to make himself look like the idiot. He was like, we, we didn't have an episode go by without Steve Austin, you know, giving Vince a stunner or bag tagging him or just yeah. beating the, beating the hell out of him in the lot or body checking him into a locker. Yeah. Like Vince, like, Vince McMahon always bounced back because he is at the end of the day, the owner of the company. You can't technically get rid of him, Yeah, but he was always will. And that's what allowed that power dynamic to continue because no matter how many wins Steve Austin got at the end of the day, Vince McMahon's still here, isn't he? But, but he was unafraid to let Steve Austin beat him up again and again and again and again. And, And triple H and other author and uh, to to kind of look at a future storyline, Stephanie McMahon as well as part of the authority. They not ever like in terms of letting themselves look stupid. They've always been more protective of that than Vince McMahon ever was, and I think that that does a lot to undercut what Punk is trying to do. Because basically, based to set up this interaction that they have on this first episode is that Triple H comes down to congratulate Punk and welcome him back, but he ends up letting it slip that against he signed Punk back against his better judgment, and Punk holds up, latches onto that, and is like, "Hold on, there! What do you mean by that?" And you know, Triple H tries to weasel out of it, but eventually Punk needles him to the point where Triple H admits that he thinks Punk is an arrogant is an arrogant hypocrite, and so he and doesn't really like him that much. 
And so this pushes, so that gives Punk to go on a whole diatribe about, oh, oh, so I'm an arrogant, egotistical ass, huh? Pot calling the kettle black there, don't you think? And Triple H just never really gets acts offended by anything Punk says. You know, you, you can contrast like the, the apologize, say, apologize to me. He's like, I'm sorry, you son of a bitch. Triple yeah. H never has the same reaction. He kind of keeps this cool, cocky demeanor as if he understands that in kayfabe, we're talking here, he, at the end of the day, he has the power over Punk. And anything Punk says doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, he's the one with the power, not Punk. And like, that makes sense, but it undercuts Punk's message because it, because it makes it seem like, yeah, he is just kind of giving childish insults that don't have any weight behind them because Triple H isn't giving them any weight. I will, I will add to just kind of from hearing about this, what it almost kind of sounds to me is like, and again, this is coming from someone who hasn't watched this, but just, just off the top of my head, this sounds like a problem of the writers kind of put themselves in a corner here. They kind of, they kind of back themselves into a corner on two ends. One, you have a phenomenal setup with, with, with punk. He criticizes the company and he accidentally anti-hero face turns himself into this champion of the people via the company. Um, without without it you know yet being still fully kind of acknowledged that he has done a face turn because his ultimate enemy is top baby face john cena mm -hmm. um and at the same time you have the 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 mcmahon coup um wherein they set triple h up to be the professional antithesis of mcmahon so you have two overlapping things of we have this amazing setup with with punk this amazing character kind of like you know through line that we've created but there's not necessarily a clear place to take him after this because mm -hmm. the way the audience reacted to him um kind of dictated that he ended up a lot more the hero of the story than maybe was originally uh, anticipated and then we have you know we we have the the guy who um who's in power to make him look like a jackass for tantruming because Triple H is so cool and composed. Mm -hmm. But now that Punk is kind of whoops the hero of the story, it just feels weird. So it almost feels like they kind of, they had these two good setups, but they just do not mesh well together just because the fluid nature of how these stories play out. Like there's enough variables that kind of messed with the formula. And now all of a sudden these puzzle pieces no longer jive. I, I would agree with that is that it just, it doesn't feel like it, it, it doesn't feel like it fits with mm -hmm. what, with where, and it feel, and it just doesn't work. I don't, I just don't, at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Uh, I will say my third thing and, and to, let's, let's put some of the blame on punk, like punk as a character. I don't, not, as, yeah. I don't, I don't, cause I don't know how much he was writing his own shtick here, but, uh, and this kind of ties into my uh, first two points is the fact that triple H is only kayfabe in charge. And the fact that triple H isn't really giving him a lot of credence punk's material is just a lot weaker. Mm. And, 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 and that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say too. 
Yeah. Is like, uh, to put an example, it's, it's funny that you would pre like when we last talked about old Mr. They call me, uh, like I am a machine, whatever mm-hmm. is talking about, you know, over using the phrase and you specifically mentioned the pipe bomb. And that's actually a good tie into what happening here is suddenly is that punk is now using that term pipe bomb as a more casual term than when he first did than that with, with but then when there's a lot less bite behind it. Case in point, yeah. he's in these two episodes and in the episodes after the after SummerSlam 2011, he makes a lot of comments about that basically just boil down to <laughs> Stephanie McMahon's the one in charge of the relationship, not you. <laughs> yeah. You know, such boilerplate garbage that that like does that like is so generic and not that biting and you're trying to call it a pipe bomb and not like a pipe bomb too well it's because well because the thing is like that that's another thing i'm trying to say with with like they don't really have a good place to take this because of like the way it ended up developing uh in practice the way you know the punk storyline ended up developing and you know how that ends up clashing with the triple h plot mm-hmm. is it just it to me, when you started talking about, he just goes in on Triple H the same way he went on it went in on McMahon. It's the act all of a sudden feels stale because it doesn't feel like a progression. It feels like same shit, different boss. He does, and he does try. He does actually try to make that point, and that does tie into a point that he made in the pipe bomb of like, I don't even think this company will be better when Vince is dead because of his doofus son-in-law. So he, there is a kind of a connection there, but again, it's just not work. But it's not really working, and it yeah, feels no. and it feels repetitive at best, and just kind of cheap and bad at worst. Yeah. And then, uh, kind of skipping ahead to week two, is is the the contract signing between John Cena and uh, Trip and CM Punk. It's the week that that's by the way the main event of the show that we're going to watch today. CM Punk versus John Cena again, as they're both rightful WWE champions. So it's like you know, one of them should win, right? We can only we can only have one champion. They they made that very clear. There will be one WWE champion when we're done, and. A punk gets another diatribe on tri- he kind of repeats a lot of his shtick on triple h i will say that his best work here is when he goes in at john laurinaitis who has been an ancillary character in this storyline is another vince's vince's stooges and honestly again this kind of goes back to what i think makes his 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 stuff with vince work is because it feels real like like uh you had seen on twitter that when people were circulating around that clip where he talks about john laurinaitis firing people back when they most when WWE in real life in 2021 had most recently fired people again and that's when he does that shtick is when he goes in on john laurinaitis making these impersonal phone calls being like, Oh yeah, budget cuts, kid. What can you do with yeah. your like people's livelihoods? And again, it feels very real and actually like he's tar- hitting at something because John Laurinaitis in real life was the head of talent relations and was the person who makes those firing calls. Yeah. So it kind of, that does kind of get it, but that, but he's such a, he's an ancillary character compared to triple H and John Cena. So he does, we don't really get a lot of that. Well, well, and the issue to me almost feels like the natural conclusion to have a satisfying end to this story, again, now that Punk's kind of become the hero of it, is to actually have tangible change enacted along the lines of his criticisms. Mm-hmm. But 
the WWE is not a company that's going to do that. Yeah. So you don't really have a place to take it. So even him going after Laurinaitis for 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 like real bullshit. Again, it feels it's it's starting to feel stale because we've had the 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 criticism, the pipe bomb was the setup. And then we had this build, this constant build, and it, you know, culminated in um in money in the bank and now he's back and now that he's back it's either actually do something with the things he said to complete the story arc or just let it stall out and it seems like they're going the route of the latter uh, describe i just kind of thought of this in like the most supreme in kind of the most supreme irony yeah the cm punk going at real criticisms is what kills this angle's ability to end because if this was a purely fictional storyline then you could do some cheesy bullshit where they they do they get better they're you know in that kind of like good guy corporation realize good corporation at heart good just a few bad apples throw them out kind of hokey garbage that can work in a that can work in fictional entertainment it can at least happen yeah and 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 feel like and feel like vapidly satisfying right but he's making criticisms about a real life multi bill uh multi-million at this possibly billion dollar corporation at this point like Nothing's gonna happen. Like that can't happen because that's not how real life works. Yeah. And so the very thing that made this angle so so kind of re- revolutionary for its time is the very thing that keeps it from having a satisfying conclusion. In yeah. That oh my god. This is I like. It's so funny because we've spent the entirety of this arc being so hype for how cool it is they that they took it there, TM. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of stop and think and you're like but they don't really have a place to go after taking it there the only the the only way a story like this like has a satisfying end is if just they they plot it out where they know there's going to be some like major structural overhaul in the company and like how they mm-hmm. how they operate and right. they they kind of line the line line the timing of the story up to like coincide its climax with that actually happening so mm-hmm. that has to be very calculated. So so CM Punk was brilliant for what he brought to the table. And in a lot of ways, the writer's room and the the, the producers and the heads and everything were, were brilliant for letting him go through with it. But just like you and I have not up until this point, it's all of a sudden obvious, oh my God, nobody thought this through. <laughs> Oh, just you wait till the back half when I explain where this story goes. You'll they really didn't think things through. But oh, anyway, no. but anyway, I, I guess to, that's about that part of it, but also centering it back to the thing with Cena, because that also is its own problem. Is in that remember how I talked about John Cena never really selling people's insults and how that kind of makes him an annoying asshole. And the fact that the thing with punk was really refreshing because he actually did kind of seem bothered mm-hmm. about a few things. Well, the de- writing was like, well, fuck that. We're just throwing all that part out because punk goes on another diatribe about John Cena is like another, a very similar lines to what he said before this time. He's kind of newest material was talking about how John Cena preaches about you know you know everyone's got an opportunity in the wwe kid you say from your ivory tower looking down on the rest of us 
and he tells this story about John Cena kind of being a little condescending to him the first time he won a title in WWE, being like, "Oh yeah, congrats, kid. I didn't, I didn't know if you were gonna get, if you were gonna make it." And he was like, "Who the hell are you to say that to me?" And he just goes on and on, and you know, and John Cena, you know what his first words are after he lives? First of all. He spends the whole speech with that stupid fucking smirk on his face. Oh, the, the, yeah, the, 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 I don't like what you're saying, but I will fight for your right to say it smirk. Yep. Okay. And uh, the first thing out of his mouth after punk is done, fine speech. Oh, and he doesn't talk. He doesn't really address any of punk's points in any way. And he just goes on and on about his own regurgitated garbage. And, you know, and they even kind of rub the salt in the wound a little bit in that he calls back to the whole, the Yan- you're not the Boston Red Sox, you're the New York Yankees thing. Mm-hmm. And he decides that, you know what, after thinking about it, I'm not bothered by that line anymore. Because, you know what, the New York Yankees are really popular and so am I. What? So, like, the one thing, the biggest thing that he, that Punk got over on Cena, the bo- the Boston fan, sports fan diehard being called the Yankees as the ultimate insult for how much of a hypocrite and an anti-underdog you are. And he's like, you know what? Eh, you know, people love him or hate him, but, you know, you got to respect the rings. And so, same with me, right? It's like, go fuck yourself. God. See... The thing is, when when I hear stuff like that, it all of a sudden really makes me question the intentionality of all those moments we praised in the past. Of like, oh my god, this feels really subversive. And they're really, like, allowing themselves to play outside their own, their, their, their usual MO here. All of a sudden, that feels like they a, a, a happy accident of writing that they stumbled upon in just trying to make the story feel cool and epic and edgy. I now all of a sudden question the the intelligence of the writers if they can't sustain that like really smart uh, writing uh, trick for more than like one moment. Yeah, oh I, no, I, and I that's like, that's about the worst thing you can do with story writing like this is is do a story thing badly enough to make people question whether or not like you were actually intelligent enough to do the good story things you've done in the past on purpose yeah i i also think that this feels more and more like they managed to accidentally step into this like one month of of really good storyline and then they hadn't they managed to revert to form oh by the by the by as, as we hit the whole the home ish stretch but yeah, so that's where we're at. It, it's CM. They they do the thing. Uh, we've never seen a contract signing on this show, so you're not familiar with the trope. But it is a super common trope that every single time that there is a contract signing in WWE as a, as like an on screen segment, is an is it an excuse for guys to start fighting each other? I mean, you know, to be fair, we did watch the attempted contract signing. Oh yeah, we did. We you're right, but so they are ha- they has fight, and probably the most interest the uh, most interesting thing about it is oh yeah, I forgot Triple H has inserted himself as the special referee in this match to ensure there is a winner and blah blah blah, and so they have a moment where like all of them are getting physical with each other and like. CM Punk knocks Cena into into Triple H, and there's a lot of like, "Hey, what the hell are you doing?" Like, p- basic pushing and shoving kind of stuff to make it kind of sell this idea that like Triple H could could fight could fight either one of them by the end of this show. 
So at least there's that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I, I've lost a lot of... Inf- Again, I was waiting for the moment where it all comes crashing down, and I thought it was going to be when Punk came back early. No, no, it was the week late. It was the next week. Yeah, the like... Again, I... I struggle to find a way they could have like pulled that off mm-hmm. and it pulled this off in any way that has a satisfying conclusion that doesn't also involve like heavily restructuring how they do things around the WWE. But like, dear God, the loss of momentum as you describe it is just making me very sad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not a good time. Uh, so I get, I, I guess I'll go ahead and I, I didn't do this at the top of the show because I had a good segue to just kind of talk about the raw stuff uh, leading up to SummerSlam. But let's go ahead and go over the card for SummerSlam and what we're going to cover on this show. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've only watched a couple of pay-per-views on this show. So for people who might not have seen us do a pay-per-view show before, I'll go ahead and explain that we have very busy schedules and very limited time to record with each other. So mm-hmm. we will not be what we know. We don't watch the whole of pay-per-views. It's why we don't do a lot of pay-per-views to begin with it. But so I have made a super cut. I actually call it, I actually cut all my notes, the movie cut because it's only an hour and a half. So we're going to cut, we're only going to watch only about half of SummerSlam. Yeah. And so I will go ahead and say what the matches are at SummerSlam and, and tell you where we're going from here, you know? So we are going to see uh, the six-man tag between John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Rey Mysterio versus R-Truth, The Miz, and Alberto Del Rio. Uh, that's just kind of been the ever the ever continuing plot line of like all the people on Raw who could be the WWE champion just don't like each other and just keep fighting. <laughs> it it feels a little thrown together, but at the same time, not entirely because there is a little bit of a story to it, and that it is the beginning of an alliance between R-Truth and The Miz. Oh, interesting. I mean, one of them is, um, one of them is, is, uh, uh much more enjoyable for me than the other. So maybe our truth can make the Miz like fun for me to watch finally. Yeah. So they basically kind of, they kind of run this plot line. They use, they base it off. They build it off of the fat, the whole like WWE championship tournament, but then oopsie daisy CM Punk's back. So I get, and John Cena is going to immediately get a title shot. Oops. Sucks to suck kids mm-hmm. where basically our tr- the Miz is still fuming about John Cena getting a title match after he got fired and punk being back even after he quit. Like he's fuming about it. And our truth comes to him and is, he tries to recruit him in on his whole, this is a conspiracy. <laughs> thing. <laughs> and, and at first the Miz, the Miz is kind of hesitant about it, but then, but then our truth is like, Hey man, think about this. It, why did we have a whole tournament to determine the WWE champion if John Cena and CM Punk were always going to come back like right away? Which is technically fudging around the plot a little bit in a way that, yeah, well, it is a conspiracy, isn't it? Theory, isn't it? It's fudging around the facts a little bit in that that ha- the tournament was under Vince's regime and Triple H is the one who brought back Cena and Punk. Uh, yeah, but, I, I, but I think is but I think considering it's like a heel conspiracy theorist kind of a character, I don't think that's a bad thing that he yeah. that his that his theory his conspiracy has a few holes in it. <laughs> I I mean I mean to be fair, don't they all? Yeah, but that is that does that is kind of what convinces the Miz to be like, you know what, you got a good point. <laughs> 
And so now they're kind of becoming a tag team together and they're, they're going to fight. They're going to fight the WWE and all that. And so, yeah, there's having a match with, uh, you know, Ravis Alberto Del Rio hasn't done a whole lot. He's just been a whole <laughs> lot of like, Hey guys, I'm going to be the WWE champ. I'm going to cash in the money in the bank. Neener, <laughs> neener, neener. <laughs> I mean, yeah, poor, poor guy. Yeah. And so the first match that we're not going to watch on this show, uh, Mark Henry versus Sheamus. Uh, big old beefy boys fight. Uh, but that was totally on SmackDown, so we're not going to watch it. We're going to skip it. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say is that Mark Henry beats Sheamus. Going to go ahead and say what the uh, results uh, are of that match. Sh- sh- shocker. Yeah. Uh, and then the second match we are going to watch is Kelly Kelly versus Beth Phoenix for the WWE Divas Championship. It, Beth, oh, this okay. Beth Phoenix thing has has exact has lasted exactly two weeks, so that's why David has not heard of it. <laughs> I mean, no, but I hear Kelly Kelly and I groan. Yeah, so Beth Phoenix is basically kind of one of those like the bright spots of the divas era because basically she was oh. the gla- she was the glamazon because basically she was real jacked and could kick a lot of ass and throw the other women around like rag dolls. That's that's cool. Um, yeah. I'm assuming no relation to Ray Phoenix. No, uh, unfortunate. Not even the same spelling. I figured. Anyway, so she won a battle royal <laughs> to be the number one contender. Great. And so she, the last couple of weeks, she's just been like beating the shit out of, out of Kelly. Kelly is kind of like a I'm gonna destroy you because you're a diva. <laughs> It's 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 one of those. Are they all divas? But I mean, like a diva. Yeah, I know. It's it's very it's one of those things where like when they have women who don't fit the stereotypical mold of a divas wrestler, they like to make it their character that they don't fit that mold, and they're gonna fight that mold. They're gonna fight back against it. So that's what we're doing with Beth and Kelly. Kelly. It'll probably be better than the matches with the Bella Twins, but you know. Could go, could go either way. I would like to believe it'll be better than a Bella Twins match, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, the next two matches are SmackDown matches, so we're not going to watch them. Wade Barrett beat Daniel Bryan. I admit I don't really even know the storyline behind this one, but it probably is pretty good. Probably yes. a pretty good match. Yes. And yes. then Randy Orton beat Christian in a world hit for the world he- in a no holds barred match for the world heavyweight championship. A bit of a, a culmination of their feud that's been the the A story on SmackDown for the for this for the in the exact same period of time as our thing has been. Okay. And it's it's actually a pretty decent story if you're okay with the fact that Christian basically never wins. <laughs> <laughs> and you really want him to if if you have no personal if you have no personal emotional connection to that then it's a pretty good story <laughs> that's sad and then of course our main event cm punk versus john cena for the to be the undisputed wwe champion with triple h as the guest referee okay you know we've made it this far david I know I should be more excited for this than I am, but God, the way you've described how this ends, just no, <laughs> it's only going to get worse. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, you'll see. Oh, disgusting. 
Anyway, then let's get on with the show. We will see you guys in the back half to talk about half of SummerSlam, I guess. Yeah, it's close enough. Close enough. See you. See you guys then. Yep. Watched, I guess, most of SummerSlam 2011. Do, do you want to start with the obvious, or just, or we want to build to the to it? I just off the bat want to say, woof. I, I don't intend for us to keep ending these arcs on a bad note. That wasn't my intention. Yeah, Jesus Christ, dude. And sadly, the new generation one also isn't going to end that well. Well, okay, I'm not shocked about new generation not ending well. That's the whole point of the new I, generation I arc. swear that our next few are going to end on a good note. I'm pretty sure of that one. I, oh, oh pretty sure. Okay, yeah. See, what kills me is that now twice in a row I've been lulled into a false sense of security because when, as 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 those who listened to episode 24 know, there was a very palpable heartbreak, I felt, um, in, in how everything kind of ended. I felt very cheated out of what I felt I was promised by the story. Here, now, I will have you know that they promised that at the end of the night, there would be one wwe champion and that was delivered upon i'm i'm not even talking about tonight i feel cheated this was more well uh, yeah but like in a different way this was more you had warned me that summer of punk doesn't end well and i was like oh god you know the trek toward the inevitable downturn and like what we saw tonight it wasn't great it did not nearly reach the heights of what Summer of Punk was at its best. It didn't even reach the slight, like, the slight denouement that we saw in the proceedings last week. It was flatly below that. The state for for what the stakes were, they didn't feel nearly as important. The bit was starting to get stale. Um, but at the end of the day. I could see things that they were going for, and mm-hmm. I felt they were delivered upon okay enough and toward the end i was like you know what this isn't great but i can still say some nice things about this and then it (laughs) got worse then came a diesel truck to ruin all of our days i suppose it wasn't even the diesel truck like like that was that was a whole other thing like that was that was an issue too but like it started uh, it started with it started with punk's win being illegitimate and it just You're all right. went downhill from right. there i we can we can do deeper analysis on the main event later i would actually mm-hmm. prefer to not do that first yeah i want to i want to save that for last but let's build up to let's explain what we're talking about mm-hmm. the main event cm punk versus john cena First, it end, it otherwise plays out pretty straightforwardly. They do Triple H doesn't play a very stereotypical role of being of trying to cheat anybody mm. as a special ref. He plays it pretty straight. But yeah. at the end, on and this is played as just like an accident. But basically, CM Punk hits the go to sleep on John Cena. He pins John Cena. Cena gets his foot on the ropes, which uh, we've learned a plenty on this show. That means ah. the count should be broken. Mm-hmm. But see, Triple H doesn't break the count, and he keeps counting the pin, and and CM Punk wins. Yeah. So he wins, but he did it unfairly. Yeah. Um, 
it, which which again we can dive into that deeper analysis later but so, just off the bat like yeah, that not was not a good not, not, not a, a great good. Pla- not a great place to start so especially so, when especially considering how they play this out the next two things i'm gonna say mm. they give this story beat as if they're gonna continue punk versus cena and they kind of are but with another party involved mm. so punk is celebrating you know and then out comes honk honk diesel fucking a. diesel Kevin for Nash. some reason he shows up and he power bombs he gives him the jackknife power bomb dead center of the ring and out comes alberto del rio with his money in the bank he cashes in kicks punk in the head once and pins him one two three they hmm. said coming in that there would in fact only be one wwe champion at the end of the night they were right that ain't that person was alberto, alberto del rio, del rio. Uh, I, okay, I guess it's so, there's so much for me to talk about, like, why this hurts. I mean, I'm sure people who have listened to our Summer of Punk uh, arc all the way through already kind of get the gist of what I'm going for here. Yeah, if you, if you, if you knew what was coming, you knew. Yeah. So, like, this hurts for a number of reasons. Like, one, obviously, as we as we talked about extensively in the first half, this bit was stalling out and stalling out quickly because they didn't really have a place to go after this except for just having CM Punk make cheap jabs at all the power players in the company while still completely playing ball, just acting like a smug douchebag about it. Yep. Which, takes away a lot of the edge of what he was going for uh, when the pipe bomb promo first dropped. And on top of that, all of a sudden, the way in which they tried to do the thing they've been doing this whole time where we see the buildup, we see like throughout the episode Punk starting off in a place and then it kind of like being a build up throughout the episode till we get to the main event that was not nearly as delivered upon again it's it's it was punk insulting stephanie mcmahon stephanie mcmahon quietly consulting with triple h at one point and that was it so the 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 mid-episode build-up was also practically non-existent add on top of that we get a good match out of Punk versus Cena. Not the best we've seen from this era, but, but it's that's, good enough. That's, that's not fair in the sense that like Punk Cena is their easily their best match, and are and and you could are you could make a fair argument it's one of the best matches ever from WWE. So that's not totally fair, but you're still right that it's yeah, it's no. good, but it doesn't match up to Money in the Bank. Yeah, no, but uh, and and again, credit where credit is due. Punk and Cena, as I as I said to Austin when we were watching. Their in-ring chemistry is phenomenal. Um, you cannot really get a bad match out of the two of them. Um, and I'm even confident in saying that Punk versus Cena, even when the story doesn't match up, it's still 
it, it, it through the sheer ability of their fighting alone, they can still make you feel story stakes, even when mm -hmm. the rest of it isn't super palpable. There were moments like they're good at doing the back and forth on pinning each other enough that I was still kind of on the edge of my seat. And this is kind of a whole thing too about like the abilities of performer versus the material they were given, which I kind of want to talk about uh, at some point during this episode breakdown. But you you have that, and it's and it's cool and whatever. And Punk gets the win. And you kind of think about the whole journey we've gone through on this, and you're like, yes, correct, well-deserved, both in kayfabe and, like, IRL behind the scenes, giving Punk had the some, dub here. Had some rocky bumps, but we got there. But yeah. I wouldn't and, have warned, if that was how that ended, I wouldn't have warned you about this. Yeah. Uh, well, I could see warning me that it was disappointing. But then Diesel, for some reason what the hell is kevin nash doing here he comes out and yeets punk and all of a sudden you're like why are they messy ending this with someone who hasn't remotely been involved up to this point and then they bring del rio out and you're like oh yeah i forgot about this and all of a sudden it's immediately ruined because the whole the, the ultimate irony is that for as good as Money in the Bank was and as hysterical as it's been to see Del Rio, like, on multiple occasions now try and fail to cash in, now that he actually cashes in and succeeds at cashing in um, and gets what he wants out of cashing in, it just cheapens that moment so much because we get nothing out of seeing, a def a, like, a, a weakened punk get defeated in five seconds. We get nothing out of that story-wise. Mm -hmm. Narratively, there is no emotional punch to that other than, what the fuck? Why are you taking this away from him? Yeah, it's... It it and, and, and not in a good kayfabe way of, like, oh, this is going to pay off. It just kind of, like wow that's just sad to watch right now mm -hmm. yeah oh. the, whole, the whole the yeah i yeah it's 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 it was rough going and i already knew what i was gonna see and i was mm. like oh i can't even fully put to words like why the del rio cash in doesn't work in when in theory it could it just doesn't it's it feels disconnected and it doesn't feel earned i think which yeah, is i know the point of money in the bank but, but when you have I, a whole story like this that's built on consequences and then oh yeah del rio's here and just kind of he sure it's consequences in a way but it doesn't like really have an emotional kick to it it's just like it's it's a, such a deflation of what we just saw even if it's supposed to feel cheap and unearned, there's still ways to make that work within the narrative of the story. And there mm -hmm. are plenty of money in the bank cash-ins that do do that. Mm -hmm. This one, it just didn't feel like the right time to do this. Mm -hmm. yeah, CM no. Punk had no time to kind of bask in his new status as, as the hero of the anti-hero of the people before there are me like, LOL on the chase again, you go. And and again, and I think and I think the big problem here is again that the bit is getting stale. It no longer feels edgy, so you don't you don't get the sense that this is going to pay off in some way. You get the sense that oh, it's just going to be punk insulting more people and like you said, going on the goose chase once more, rather than like rather than anything he said actually coming across like it it, it has a material impact mm -hmm. on the company it doesn't feel like they're going to play this for a corruption angle on del rio's part or on the higher-ups part i'm it's gonna go ahead and tell you they don't 
yeah, no, it just feels like it's it, it just feels like them shrugging their shoulders at me like that's showbiz baby without yeah, a single thought when the yeah. whole point of of the entire summer of punk is that he's calling out the that's showbiz baby mentality and how fucked it is. Yeah, it it's supposed to make you frustrated and want to see Del Rio lose. It didn't make me, it made me frustrated, but not about for, not for that reason. And it's, 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 it's that tough thing of like, when it's good, you want, you really want it. You buy into the story. And when it's bad, you just think of the creative decisions about Mm. and choosing to do that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a thing that I, I talk about a lot. I think about a lot. Is it a lot of, is that like both in rest as wrestling fans as a, and as regular media is is like this idea that like wrestling it's a common trope in wrestling fandom to talk about like ugh fans care too much about the backstage stuff they don't just be a fan and think about it the storylines here's the thing though this and they act like it's unique to wrestling but it's not and here's the difference when it's good as I just said I'll reiterate what I just said and expand, yeah. expand upon it when it's good. You buy. You only think about the story. When it's bad, you think about anything but that. You want an example of this outside of wrestling to make this not be like some uh, wrestling fans thing? Game of Thrones. First <laughs> six seasons. Let's five to six seasons. Nobody knew a damn. Nobody know who. Nobody knew who the fuck the showrunners were on that show. Last few seasons. That's all anybody was talking about. Well, wrestling's in a unique position, too, where you can have it that the story's good and the fans are still thinking about what goes on behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. there's such a blurry line between, like, those two concepts. Mm -hmm. And the whole point, again, of Summer of Punk was getting the fans to think about that in kind of this edgy Mm -hmm. way. But it doesn't get you thinking about it like that. It gets you thinking about it in terms of, realizing that the writer's room is spinning its wheels at this point. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get you thinking about like interesting implications of the backstage politics. It gets you thinking about the writing and not in a Mm -hmm. good way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it was, it's this whole, like this, this storyline quickly. And it's like, that's the thing about Del Rio's cash. And I was going to say is that it doesn't make you think about like, Oh, that piece of shit. Del Rio, I can't wait for Punk to get his. All it makes you think is you just see the WWE creative and how they act. And you just mm-hmm. like, they're, they've done it again. Yeah. Once again, they fucked it up. Like yeah. they always do. Yeah. It's not, it, it's no longer part of the fun kayfabe mm-hmm. that everybody who, that, that, that all the people who make the creative decisions at WWE have a track record of being fucking morons. It's mm-hmm. back to that being the frustrating status quo reality of mm-hmm. being a fan of this company. Um, yep. And on top of that, I, what's especially frustrating is kind of like I mentioned earlier, the difference between quality of performance and quality of material because here's the thing we are in this case watching all gifted performers give their all to this punk and cena especially obviously punk there's a reason you know he is he became as beloved as he did during this arc and that's because he is a phenomenal character actor who can go out there and use his charisma in in legitimately 
edgy, provocative ways, and you still and still get you on board with him. And you have Cena, who has taken this entire arc to show off that he had more range than just the good guy, simple himbo boy scout that he's been portrayed as for a lot of his career up to this point. Mm-hmm. It, he could portray as you so aptly termed it when we were watching vulnerability when the crowd's not with him and it actually hurts and the desperation and the unwillingness he has to 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 kind of act as a proxy for um for the wwe's kind of shady bullshit trying to censor punk here um that's awesome we have triple h who's doing a really good job at um at portraying the character he's given and like we said in the front half doing it in a way that um, really invokes a, 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 a compelling comparison to McMahon. And we have Del Rio, who I've come to just generally enjoy more, um, doing his part of the act and, you know, doing his damnedest to make it look to, to make it work and look good. And, you know, now realizing how he was treated backstage makes it all the more fraught to think about. But, you know, we have him doing his best. And so we have all of these components that should work because the delivery is is fantastic it feels like it should work but viscerally you can tell it doesn't Mm -hmm. and the frustrating thing is then breaking down like where the failing is because uh, on the surface it seems like it should be as compelling as everything up to this point but there's just something about the way the material was crafted that all of a sudden it no longer jives um Mm -hmm. and that and that is the ultimate tragedy of this i think right here um is that you had all the pieces in place to continue making this work with these insanely gifted performers and it just got squandered yep uh so want to want to run through the show now before we keep going yeah anything else there is is we we get the intro package it, actually, no, we don't. We open with a L, the old national anthem as played by the guitarist of Tool. Adam something. Adam Jones. What a great Adam name. Jones. Yeah. Uh, we crack some jokes about vamping, and then he does yeah. kind of end up playing a bit of a guitar solo there. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't sing the anthem. He's not a singer. Also, the video package they have for that. Oh, yeah. They're generic, they're generic um, stock video of yeah, Americana that also is so, le- is so short, it doesn't even make it to the end of the national anthem yeah. before they loop it back. Which I'm not sure if that's a failing of the B-roll department, a failing of Adam Jones, or both. Yeah, that's. But it was hilarious that they can't even make a minute, a 90 second video package. For yeah. Them. Oh my yes. Christ, that was funny. Yeah. Um, they have so, they have the packet. The intro package didn't have a whole lot, but yeah. Then we start with the six man tag. The and the six man tag was awesome. So it was it was Kofi Mysterio. And uh, John Morrison, aka Johnny fucking Mundo, um, versus now in slow motion. Yeah, now in slow mo. Yeah, uh, versus versus Miz, R Truth, and Del Rio, um, and exceptional. Yeah. I, I comment. I commented to Austin um, um, while we were watching. Like, it's matches like these that really make me want to bone up more on my like technical analysis ability because there's just a lot of good stuff going on in this match. Um, there, the, the cool thing about matches like these, the, uh, this in particular, is the they managed to get together a really diversified 
uh, cast for this match because Kofi, Mysterio, and Mundo, as we've talked about extensively on this podcast, all are greatly athletically gifted and all in really distinct ways. Kofi being the high flyer. Uh, Mysterio, Mysterio also being a high flyer, but, but also like, in that but, in like as a luchador. Yeah, and then, it's like, and it's then, like and American high flying versus versus luchador high flying, and then, and, and, and then, Mundo yeah. being the parkour guy, being parkour guy. <laughs> yeah, um, all three of them, like their their teamwork is exceptional. There's a great moment where Kofi and uh and Morris Morris Morrison whatever um goes in on uh i think our truth and they knock him down and they do like the kick up at the same time mm-hmm. um and the way they move in tandem is really cool and just any chance i get to see ray mysterio kick ass is great yeah. um then on the on the on the um heel side we have Miz, who's kind of generic um i'm not particularly compelled by Miz most of the time but Del Rio, who I who I've come to enjoy more as a character, and he is he he does kind of have this nice little like brutalism uh, mm-hmm. aspect to, to his fighting. Um, that's that's cool to watch. Like the, the again, it it feels fraught all of a sudden to like to laugh at the oafishness with which his character was written, but it does kind of play into this fighting style he has of like just trying to quick and dirty get dubs with like just powering through this this kind of like um this kind of like charge in and brutalize attempt. Um and then you have R Truth, who as much as we just like laugh about R Truth on the show because he's such a great comedy uh character, um has a l- l- absolutely wild amount of athleticism in, in his in his uh, in his body. Like, oh my god, he, he does. actually he's... does the splits and yeah. somersaults backwards. He can still do that, and he's like forty five now. He can still yeah. casually hit the splits. It's it's wild. Yeah, no. So a great uh, a great athletic showing, and they didn't really do a they didn't really go in on like too many tired tropes of like big tag teams like that they were they were they managed to pull out enough distinct imagery again probably as a virtue of like the very distinct fighters they had in the ring for this one Mm -hmm. um it was just it was just fun to watch and god it's so satisfying to see all these really technically competent people hit moves hit them well and again even in a store even in something that like doesn't have a whole lot of story going for it it's just it's compelling by nature of the of the uh the entertainment value of like the legitimately good fighting going on here yeah the work they do um i would say i would say four out of those six um are some of the best workers in uh in the company of this era um so any chance to see them go up against each other or slash fight together depending on which side they're on is an absolute treat oh absolutely yeah it's just a very it's it's very it knows what it needs to be and that it needs to be about a 10 minute like hot opening match to get the Mm -hmm. get everybody excited have some fun the good guys get the win yeah and 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 and, and hot's a good word for it too they keep up a good pace throughout the Mm -hmm. match that's what i mean that that's kind of because because uh six i've noticed the kind of like larger tag matches like that sometimes there's there's so many like little shenanigans they they want to try to be cheeky and pull that end up kind of slogging the match a little bit this never really felt like it went there even like when there's some out of ring shenanigans going on it didn't feel to the detriment of the pace of what was going on in the ring and it stayed engaging for the entire duration which was nice. yeah 
yeah, it was a, it was a very it was a pretty it was a very good match overall. So yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, more, more more of all of them, please. Except mm-hmm. Miz, I could do I could give or take the Miz, but for the most part, yeah. But he's the Miz, and I he's know. Awesome. Like, as as I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast, but I've mentioned it to David that the yeah. Miz was my first favorite wrestler. So this disparaging. I'm of sorry, eleven Miz. I'm I'm sorry. I'm being mean to Miz over here. I just I I I'm sorry. I do not care. <laughs> well, it's fine. Anyway, uh, we get the we get a backstage interview with Punk. Where he basically just kind of fucks around on John Laurinaitis and then Stephanie McMahon. First, Laurinaitis is like, I want you to apologize to me for kicking me in the head. Because I forgot to mention that. That like the, during the the contract signing shenanigans, hmm. he just like CM Punk just like straight kicks Laurinaitis in the back of the head. And so Laurinaitis is like, apologize to me. The executive vice president of talent relations. And so Punk does so in the most sarcastic, obnoxious way he can. Yeah. And Laurinaitis is like, oh, fuck it. I'm just whatever. Which, and again, then, good job on Punk's on Punk's end delivering the material. Mm-hmm. He's still playing his character well. But, like, that's your first indicator of, like, this doesn't have any teeth uh, to yeah. it. Yeah. And, like, then, like, and like, then, like, 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 it seems like the, the extent of Punk's quote-unquote advocacy within the company at this point is just gonna him gonna be him being like an obnoxious gremlin backstage yeah now it. yeah now that you I, I now that you and I, I get you couldn't have done this forever but now that like he is officially signed with the company now and we know that mm-hmm. there's a it, it loses a lot of the edge because it doesn't feel like he could just like say fuck it i'm leaving at any given moment <laughs> Yeah, no, the the again, we talked we we all talked about this in the first half of yeah. just like of of just god, this needed to coincide with an actual shift in company policy. Mm-hmm. Um and it had to be like a big season finale or some shit. Um but no no, we didn't get that. So yeah, here he, we are. Yeah, he should talk Stephanie and it and Stephanie just spends the whole time being like like he tries to make sarcastic remarks and she just is like, No, they're all everyone's wishing you luck. Mm-hmm. And but he refuses the handshake and that is the end of that. Yeah, whatever. And, and then we skip then ahead to clearly ahead to... the best segment of the night, which is of course the CeeLo Green concert. Yeah, I thought we were done with music after Hulk rules. God damn it. Oh, no. We're, we're done with bad songs, David. We're not done with music. Oh, Jesus. So the CeeLo Green thing is honestly hilarious in that. So he sings Bright Lights, Big City, which was the theme song of SummerSlam. As I told David, not the funniest SummerSlam song. Gonna give that to Demi Lovato's Cool for the Summer. Yeah. That, that was hysterical to me. But anyway, CeeLo Green, he's doing his thing. And he ends up singing. He also sings Forget You because that was the big hit. Yeah. The, some of the divas come out to dance along to Forget You. And the crowd doesn't care. Yeah. Like, they, they pan across. And the crowd's, like, at least pretending to be into it. They but... find a couple people who are kind of moving to the rhythm. Yeah. But... But they, like, found, they found one girl who knows the lyrics and was singing along. <laughs> the no, but the best part, like the the ultimate best part about this, as Austin and I had a big laugh about while watching, was 
he's doing forget you and he's like see you driving around town with the girl i love and he's like and i'm like and he holds the mic out he's and no- just for the crowd participation and nobody and sings nobody sings it. along and he just he brings the he does this multiple times and each time it gets nothing and he brings the mic back to his mouth this is this big fake grin like yeah bastards what is wrong with you no he he tried he does he tries so hard to like get the crowd to like sing along with him as he probably does at his real concerts yeah but here's the thing you're at a wrestling show they pretty much never work because pretty much no one has ever gone to a wrestling show and wanted to see a live music performance in the middle of it i know so absolutely nobody cares And as i joke with david you know it's like it's something special to watch somebody try to get a wrestling crowd to chant stuff and they don't want to chant the most easily baited type of crowd in the universe and they don't go along with your with your like audience participation that's when you know you're i see i can't even blame CeeLo. he was trying his yeah, best yeah it's, it's just not, like it's not CeeLo's fault this is on wwe for trying to do this kind of thing yeah and of course and of course we have we have a couple we have a few fucking divas like yeah we, the bella twins like, mendez and alicia fox why and it was funny because they were clearly given no direction on what to do so they were trying their trying best. Wing, they they were winging awkward. it the whole time. And yeah, it, yeah it looked awkward. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that one hurts. Um, and then we get the Be a Star video that that was, it's, that's nice. It was, yeah, nice. Well, wait, no, we got the Divas match first. No, the Be a Star video was before the Divas match. Oh, it was match. before the Divas match? Oh, okay. You're thinking of SummerSlam access, which we'll get oh, to. Oh, oh, yeah. But yeah, then we watched the Divas title match, Beth Phoenix versus Kelly Kelly. Which it was longer than previous Divas matches, which was both nice and not nice. Six minutes, 48 seconds. The longest Divas match we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just going to say it. Beth Phoenix uh, is uh, more, far more talented than Kelly Kelly, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching her lose to Kelly Kelly sp- Spoiler warning was just sad because you're just like they're upholding the status quo as usual. The hot wins over the hot bitchy. Cool. Yeah. God. Like she's Beth Phoenix was trying her best, but you know, Kelly Kelly can only do so much around here. I, I mean, like I will say like the crowd was more into it than they have been in the past, which was like a nice boon for them. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And there were some legitimately impressive moments. There were some times where Beth Phoenix got Kelly Kelly into a corner and the way Kelly Kelly got out of it was like cool. And the way Beth Phoenix got her into the corner in the first place was cool. So like there were some moments, but overall it was still just like, yep, this is the standard thing. It's two hot ladies in semi bikinis cat fighting because somebody backstage wanted this, I guess. Yeah. I, I think there was a good contrast between, you know, you get the Beth Phoenix is big and strong. Kelly Kelly is not big and strong. Yeah. And so she's, she's throwing Kelly Kelly around a little bit and that's fun. But in the end, Kelly Kelly still pulls out the dub. Yeah. We're talking, we're talking about pace earlier. Like, one of the big issues with the divas matches when they're not just like abhorrently short is they feel so long. (laughs) They feel long. They slog. 
because the way they wanted them to like fitness model cat fight just ruins the pace of the thing because they just go for these like cheap dumb bad moves that are that look lazy and they're not used as like and and uh, an auxiliary to any other like bigger better moves or combos or anything they're supposed to exist on their own as legitimate moves and you're just like well that was a thing that didn't sell particularly well yeah like this like moving kelly, on kelly cat like this and this is honestly like the best kelly kelly could do yeah with with she just has no impact on her moves at all seriously um, it's just She's clearly has some level of athletic ability in that she does some, she can do like handstands and shit, mm -hmm. but like in terms of, of, of being a wrestler, she just don't got, she just doesn't have it that way. Like yeah. she does not have a, she's just not that great at, at athleticism as, as dict as required in a wrestling context. And that, mm. That makes it, and I'm like, that's not her fault. She, I can't, she can't be Ray Phoenix like that's, because that's, that's a, that's a genetic thing, but, and, and it's not like if that's the, at the end of the day, that kind of thing is on WWE because they're the ones who set the, who set, who um, set the standard for how this mm. is going to work. Exactly. Like, this is what they want. Yep. So it's just another, another, notch in the in the belt of that was a divas match and it was that was a thing i watched um i did note to austin this is well i i noted this was oh my god now that we're done with summer punk that also means we're done with divas for a while austin pointed out we have one last like one shot thing of bad ladies wrestling but then after that we're free from it for a while we are, and I'll explain more about that when we get to the get to the end of our show here, and I talk about what we're going to do in this time slot in our schedule next. Yeah, but yeah, we there's not like I was just thinking through it, and a lot of the wrestling we're about to see coming forward for storylines is either good or non-existent. Yeah, which is its own problem, I guess, but it, it's also not bad. It's I'm I'm not I'm not gonna not have to bad women's more, wrestling more dumb divas bullshit. So like I'm happy for my almost release from this. Finally, <laughs> God yeah. mercy. Yeah, uh, then we get a backstage skit. I kept this backstage skit with our truth because I thought it was funny. Oh God, um, yeah. I, I again, I love. I've really come to love our truth. So he's he's going. He's just ranting backstage about the conspiracy. The conspiracy. And he comes across Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, baby. Jimmy <laughs> Hart is there for some reason. He's just there as like a select. Like, hey, Jimmy Hart's here. Uh, that yeah. Cool? yeah, yeah. I got a reaction out of the crowd. I I really sometimes like don't give the crowd nearly enough credence for their like knowledge of wrestling history because like there are some like obscure, older feeling references that the crowd will still go wild for because they first have it zoomed in on our truth and then they pull out mm -hmm. and Jimmy Hart's there and you can you can actually hear the crowd kind of cheering for him. So yeah, everyone loves Jimmy Hart, baby. Yeah, and, and I, I noted to David that this. Is, this is oh yeah this is 2011 hulk hogan's in tna right now because because jimmy hart's trying to sell himself as a manager for our truth and he mentions people he's managed and he doesn't mention hulk hogan. he doesn't mention hulk hogan he doesn't mention that he was the inspired uh creative genius behind the inception of the hulk rules album mm -hmm. very disappointing yeah um, 
So yeah, clearly Hulk Hogan is persona non grata around here. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and, and, and I want to point out like that when our when we had the the opening match, our truth from the get go was like going really hard on making his like oh, that was a, connections that was of like of like you all know I'm afraid of spiders and spiders starts with the letter S. You know what else starts with the letter S? SummerSlam. And then also, he does it again with CeeLo Green. Yeah. Yeah, CeeLo Green, and what was the other word? No, he goes, yeah, he's, it's conspiracy. Conspiracy. And start with a C. And, and, and also, my favorite thing is after he says each line, the audience is wanting him, and of course he has to go at one point, don't want me, and the audience goes, what? And again, the easiest people in the world to bait. Poor CeeLo. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> yeah. so he's already been making tenuous connections all night, as you do when you're R-Truth. Yeah, and the and the and the segment ends with Jimmy actually almost getting through to him here as being yeah. like, "You gotta think big, baby!" Ha 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 ha! And Arthur is like, "You know what, Jimmy? You're right. I gotta think big." And then he accidentally says the phrase "little Jimmy." Yeah, he's like, he's like, "I don't gotta think little. I, I shouldn't think little Jimmy." And then he goes, "Wait!" And then he realizes, Jimmy. "Wait a minute, little he Jimmy." Like, so he thinks that like jimmy hart is little jimmy or is associated with little jimmy and that and that that ruins the whole thing <laughs> and the best part is jimmy hart almost acts kind of sus enough that like you kind of think wait is the does he have some sort of little jimmy can i because hart is like i i, I don't know what you're talking about uh, uh and then runs away like what the? and archer's like what have you done with little jimmy yeah and then we then we get a cameo from ron artest because the, the joke is, is Ron Artest was a player for the LA Lakers. They're in Los Angeles. He was also known for kind of being a bit of a crazy person. If you want an example of this, in this calendar year that we're in right in, in this on this show, 2011, he will change his real legal name from Ron Artest to Meta World Peace. So, but for now, he's still Ron Artest for a little while. And they make it they they, they have him and his daughter backstage and they, they do a bit where they're like, wow. That our truth sure is crazy, and you like you get it. Do you get it? Because he's crazy. Oh, and he thinks the wrestler's crazy. Yes, that's the joke. Yeah. And it was, and it's fine. I, I don't. As much as I clearly lampshaded that as a stupid joke, I don't think it was that bad. No, it was. It was cute. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm fine with that. It's cute. And the crowd popped for it because they, you know, yeah, like know. local basketball player and all that. Yeah. So then we skip ahead like an hour to hit SummerSlam, the SummerSlam access video. Yeah, which was just cute. Like mm-hmm. the the this big event they did where like they had like they had be a star stuff going on. They had a whole bunch of celebrity cameos. Oh like, man, so many 2011 God. celebrities up in here. I know, Jordan Sparks, got, Britney Jordan Snow. Sparks, Britney Snow. We got a guy from Twilight, Kellen Lut- Lutz, I think it was. Something like that. Jennifer Love Hewitt was there. Yeah. Uh, the dude from The Blind Side. <laughs> yeah, the guy, yeah, the guy who played the, the football player from Blind Side, which I like forgot about that movie until like watching this like oh man they got they got the finest in 2011 specific celebrities i know and and they you know they had all the wrestlers like interacting with fans and stuff and like i had to make the comment of like it is really weird watching c because like cm punk was interviewed too and they had showed a little clip of being like yeah it's just so nice to be able to be here and i'm like it's really weird being in the middle of summer of punk and watching punk play patsy to this yeah like sure they're trying to like play it now is he's doing it for the fans but like it's still just like 
I really don't know how much you're just going to be like smiling along for the camera if you are the character that you play on TV really like uh the again the mm. the the tenuousness with which kayfabe is adhered to at times uh as uh, oh. you know when convenient is a uh, hilarious and mind-boggling and sometimes deeply frustrating thing on this damn show. Kayfabe is important when it needs to be. When we yeah, want true. It to be and none other time. True. And, yeah, and then after that, we get a we get a you know they're, they're Stephanie and Triple H are backstage. They're talking. Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen? That ended up being a complete red herring. But I we're at the match. I feel like we've already talked about pretty much anything we need to say about the match. Yeah. It's just uh, it's a really good match. You you had a you had a good, a good you had a good descriptor of it when we were watching it. Did I? Yeah, I was talking about it being a sequel. Oh yeah. Well so so Austin called it a sequel while we were watching, and he called it he called it he called it a, a good sequel, and, and I, I amended that a little bit. Uh, I said this is I don't want to call this a good sequel because good sequel implies it is the type of sequel that is aware of how to properly do a sequel this was not that it felt like a competently made cash grab sequel wherein you're fully aware like 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 you're fully aware you're just that there is the a level of like again. you're yeah, they're, doing they're, the same thing again but at a lesser level yeah they're doing the same th- but it's still entertaining enough to watch because at the end of the day you came here to see the central thing for as much as you may be a snob uh, you like to parade yourself as a snob who actually cares about like writing and artistic integrity um yeah uh, at totally not calling myself out here um, hey. uh no but but i mean again match was nice there were some cool moments there was one thing we didn't mention that i do want to that i do want to uh throw out there too talking uh for a second a little more about like triple h as a character is there's this moment where cena and punk are both out of ring and triple h is counting them out um and he gets to nine and he stops counting and he goes outside the ring grabs each of them like basically by the scruff of their neck and tosses them back in the ring yeah which again is a cool character moment on like he's he's still like they're still playing him for like crooked asshole manager but in a distinctly different way than how mcmahon gets played there must uh, be a winner uh, yeah in the middle of the ring uh. yeah um which like like again i appreciate that they're playing his character for he is a you know smart venomous businessman who will pull some shit to get entertainment value and is like a lot more composed than than vince when it comes to making decisions like that on the fly um but again god at this point do none of these things like end up meshing well because yup they really don't seem to all of a sudden all this smart writing that was there that I could not stop gushing about. It just like, it's still there's, it's still kind of there. It's there in the little glimpses we get of, of the Miz as a, or not the Miz of triple H as a character. It's there in, you know, how they still have a little bit playing up the moral ambiguity of what's going on here. Who's the real face. Who's the real heel in this scenario. They still have little hints of that. But a lot of a lot of it's gone out the window in favor of just kind of 
rehashing the same shtick again and again and again because it worked so well the first time and all of a sudden you have to wonder if they even understood why the thing they wrote worked as well as it did Mm -hmm. and so we've already talked about you know the match was very good there was a lot of good moments to it even if it doesn't you know meet the the level of money in the bank i don't know if anything could have mm-hmm. but when we've already covered the end everything that happened in the ending i feel like there's I, I i don't think i can add anything to that so what i what i've did is i mentioned at the top of the show i watched an i watched a month of extra episodes of monday night raw after this storyline, after SummerSlam 2011, the buildup to Night of Champions 2011, I watched all of the segments regarding Punk or Punk and Triple H and Kevin Nash, so that I could tell you where the story goes from here. Mm-hmm. And boy, does it go places! None of them good. So let's let's go. Uh, I wrote notes so I could remember everything. So. Yeah. The first, the kind of the 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 immediate follow up is they're transitioning the storyline to be Nash versus Punk and Del Rio versus Cena. That is the Cena and Del Rio is the WWE Championship match at, at the next pay per view. So that is where that goes. Punk is still there in the background, being like, "What the fuck, man? I would like to be WWE champion, please." <laughs> but at the moment, he has other issues, and so it's not a priority in this next month and a half of storyline. But basically it starts with Kevin Nash coming out and explaining his actions. And he said that at, he was at SummerSlam as a fan, but he was texted to, and I quote, stick the winner. And so, and he claims that Triple H is the one that texted him. Now, Triple H and Triple H is big on denying all of this. He, according to him, Nat is like Nash, bruh, Nash, uh, you're one of my closest friends, uh, but you, you're this is bad for business. Uh. Don't know hmm. how much more of that I can accent I can do. Um, now Sam Punk is like this is a bunch of bullshit you're all you two have been the best friends for decades and you expect me to believe that 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 you didn't collude to screw me over despite the fact that everything in triple h's character motivations would lead you to do that Mm -hmm. uh best line cm punk and cm punk is specifically targeting nash does a lot of like you're an old irrelevant dinosaur fair he is huh. uh, he has the best he has one of my fa- he has one of his best lines see him this isn't a great part of the storyline but one of his best lines ever might be is that he when he comes out to talk to nash at one right this first time he said he talks about how he got a text from his sister after the mat after the SummerSlam mats that went kevin nash lol thought he was dead <laughs> <laughs> I will say, uh, surprisingly, apropos, or especially apropos comment from uh, from Punk about Nash being a dinosaur, considering uh, Nash's former stage name and what happens to dinosaur bones. Hey, but yeah, and base, and then and then Nash does the, and Nash completely can't hang with CM Punk here on the microphone. He basically he comes from, he comes from this angle of like. I'm a big guy. I'm a star. You need to hit the gym and get a clue. I'm like, yeah, it it, it, it doesn't land. If you no, were wondering. Yeah. yeah, hush. Yeah. What well, color me surprised? 
Yeah, and in the meantime, Punk and Triple H, again, it just keeps hitting the same goddamn notes of I of about his wife and her being the one in charge of the relationship, as opposed to him, the man. That's, of course, the implication, because yeah. he, doesn't immediate, he doesn't make that obvious connection. But And it's like, yeah, I wrote it completely dilutes the pipe bomb thing. He will not stop talking about it and calling it a pipe bomb. So... Fast forward a couple of weeks. This has gone back and forth for a while. And, oh, I forgot to talk about this because it's actually a, an interesting, this might be the most interesting story beat in this entire thing, mm-hmm. is in week two, they do a bit where CM Punk and Kevin Nash are supposed to fight meet face-to-face, but then suddenly there's a backstage segment where John Laurinaitis comes up to Triple H and is like, Triple H, there's been an accident. Kevin Nash has got hurt, gotten a car accident on the way to the building. He's at the hospital now. And Triple H runs out of the building to go check on his friend. And later in the show, Nash comes out to attack Punk. Oh. So, so I'm going to be emphasis. They, they plant seeds here that it was John Laurinaitis and, or Stephanie McMahon are probably the most likely candidates for yeah. who texted Nash. Remember that. <laughs> So week three ish week three or week four. I forget which week this was just, I know it's in the middle. That's all I remember is they announced Kevin Nash versus CM Punk for night of champions. The next pay-per-view except (laughs) at the very end of the exact same episode, they do a bit where triple H is like your match against Nash it's been changed now you're gonna fight me why so uh, I believe there was some real life problems here and that Kevin Nash's old dinosaur ass couldn't get medically cleared to wrestle oh my god so we needed to change the match to punk versus triple H oh god and again, I again, I I already knew this happened. I knew that Nash Punk got changed to Triple H and Punk. I was yeah. stunned that it happened over the course of one episode. That's disgusting. Like, and it was, and and the it's supposed you're supposed the story beat is supposed to be that trip that CM Punk he's needling Triple H so much that Triple H changed the match. But again, he only like really um one more time was all it took. For Triple H to get mad enough to change his mind here? Yeah. Like, like he Punk did the exact same shit he's been doing for weeks, but apparently this one more time where he did it, that's where we crossed the line. Yeah. Which, like, like was, you could, I guess you could kind of see it just because, again, Triple H has already shown his propensity for throwing in little surprises like that just for entertainment value. But, like... I'm assuming it doesn't play out as like it doesn't play out as calculated and plays out as an anger move in the, yeah, in the it, story. Yeah, no, it's not that a cal- it's not a calculated move. He's pit. Like the idea is that he's pissed and he's <sighs> and he's exerting his power as COO to change the match into a way that that fulfills his anger. Yeah, and lets him get retribution on Punk for being a dick face. <laughs> All right, here comes the big moment. We get the reveal of who texted Nash. As I said, 
we have been hinting before. CM Punk believes wholeheartedly that it's Triple H or someone affiliated with Triple H. Yeah. And we have had hints that it could totally be Stephanie, and it, may, and it is probably John Laurinaitis. John Laurinaitis has been sketch as hell for weeks. Yeah. The, the, mag, the big one was the whole, like, oh, Kevin Nash has been in a car accident, and then Kevin Nash shows up clearly not hurt. Yeah. But it gets Triple H out of the building, right? And, to, and the reveal is Nash texted himself. The story beat is, is that Triple H found footage, security cam footage from the arena, and Triple H and Kevin Nash went into Triple H's locker room, texted his own number from Triple H's phone, and then came back out and attacked Punk. All this for a dinosaur irrelevant wrestler who up to this point has no involvement with any of this. Nope. What? This yeah, this is his yeah, and um Nash is fired by Triple H. I wrote Nash is fired by Triple H for being a lying liar who lies. <laughs> but yeah, uh I, I also wrote, this feels like it stopped being about Punk. Because it did. This suddenly became a lot more about Triple H being mad at his best friend for betraying him in that he screwed with his show. Like, it, like again, it, as I said, it stops feeling like it's a really about Punk. Yeah. And that's, I wrote, uh, I forget who wrote this line. I should have wrote, I should have wrote that down. Um... You want change, Obama? You got change coming your way. Very 2011. Uh, I, sh- I I forgot who. I think Triple H said that, but I forget who. But I didn't write that down. And then, funnily, funny, and the weird thing is that like they keep the beef of on Nash and Punk kind of going for a couple of weeks, even after they've made the match Triple H versus Punk. And then, yeah, it's weird. And then the very last thing they do for this plot line is they have a face-to-face right before the match. And I believe, I don't remember when they added this. The stipulation was added that if Triple H loses, he has to quit being COO. Like, that's the stipulation of the match. And I I wrote a few notes about their face-off. Punk actually does a good thing where he claims Triple H and Vince as executives might as well be the same person. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, see, see, I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose, though, of all the things they go out of their way to, like, do to show that Triple H runs things differently. Mm-hmm. But, like, okay. Uh, Triple H proving the point by trying to claim that this is an audience reaction-based meritocracy. That's where this angle goes. Is like, tr- is that tr- CM Punk tries to portray himself, tries to continue on about his gripes that he saw in the pipe bomb, that he is being held back because management doesn't like him, he is the best in the world, and all Triple H fires back on is this idea that the fans weren't behind you, uh, you just, you just had to keep working hard, uh. This is a meritocracy. Uh. Okay. Like that's the way he tries to play this is that, is that if CM Punk didn't get more opportunities, but that he felt he deserved, then he just wasn't cutting the mustard enough. And he, and he just had to keep working hard and he would eventually get there. Like as proven by the stuff is the people's reaction to the pipe bomb. But 
I don't understand. Who is this coming out in favor of narratively? I don't know. I don't know where they're trying to tell take this story because see a Triple H, as I'm about to tell you, doesn't really turn heel in this. And neither does Punk. But then what? What is the point? I, I wish I could tell you. Um, also, last thing I wrote here, uh, two last things. I wrote, Triple H expects me to believe that he saw nothing in John Cena. He tries to relate He tries to relate Punk's point about, like, John Cena got all the opportunities, and he tries to be like, well, John Cena worked his ass off, and nobody believed in him until he worked, until he showed his work. Ethic. I, got, I was like, I called uh, bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Have you ever seen one. John Cena? Just look at the guy. He yeah. Got, I refuse to believe that Triple H or anybody at WWE looked at John Cena and didn't at least see something. Yeah. That's and, ridiculous. Yeah, and then I wrote I, I wrote this I felt I really do feel like this is like the most sharp jumping line punk has ever said. Is that he kinda he kinda ends it off in this big like wham moment where he says, This isn't CM Punk talking to Triple H. This is Phil Brooks talking to Paul Levesque. Uh, like he's trying to in like this is like one of my lead this is one of the dumbest thing like shoot thing work shoot things in wrestling where you try where you name drop your real name to show how serious this is and the worst part is i could see that working in a in a timeline where they did a much better follow through on this story but they didn't it just lost all purpose and just clearly spun its wheels with irrelevant bullshit for a while and they still tried to give it this gigantic final speech there that was not earned remotely yeah and then at night of champions uh triple h wins Fuck because this. he's not getting removed from the coo position and then the next few months become this insane the heels of this storyline are kevin nash our truth and the Miz. They our truth and the Miz get inserted here as kind of like the chaotic heels gonna destroy WWE. They run a whole angle where the locker room walks out on the company and Triple H because of the because of the Miz and our truth. Those two guys alone make the entire locker room quit the fuck and we get an amusing episode where they try to run they actually try to commit to this bit of like we have to do a two hour episode of monday night raw with like five people and it basically the angle kind of for the triple h side of it the angle ends where triple h is removed as coo and john laurinaitis becomes the man in charge because he's the real heel here and on the punk side, he kind of continues to orbit around Alberto Del Rio and John Cena until eventually he does win the WWE title at Survivor Series, and he will then hold the title for more than a year. We saw this in the uh, 2012 Christmas thing. Yeah, I was going to say. But, so, but by this point, all the momentum's gone. Well, I think you said it best when you said this stopped being about CM Punk. And I want to add on that. This be because the the magic of the summer of punk 
wasn't just CM Punk himself. Obviously, it was what he was talking about. It wasn't that it was about CM Punk. It was about CM Punk's perspective on the company Mm -hmm. and how he manifested that into this chaos um this 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 chaotic plot to make everything in the wwe go tits up and Mm. you know cause them cause them chaos and basically do a jokery demonstration for the fans of like what a uh shit show this company is Mm -hmm. um and that that's the magic because it's not just punk being a good character it's that he was saying something there um that backed him up um it gave his character substance and you advance you 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 march forward with punk the character continuing to do what he's been written to do this whole time during this era and yet all of a sudden, at some point after Punk returns, every single thing about the company being fucked disappears mm-hmm. completely. Like they try to pay lip service to it, but you have this insanely weird and needlessly complex corruption angle shit going on, and it, it comes out meaning nothing. It doesn't have any teeth behind it because mm-hmm. the way they like continue on with the story they once again the 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 work shoot loses its strength because they the writers stop caring about actually making that you know think about how the company's run angle from an audience perspective means something it's just kind of there and vaguely gestured at without anything ever actually coming of it no real consequences and that's the tragedy and yeah um we've kind of hit on it a lot already this episode but i as like i feel like once you once you lost the ability to lean on the meta of punk leaving the company as this like burning all bridges fuck you because because this company is the shits Mm mm-hmm once you lose that, when he re-signs, it's like they didn't really know what to do after that. Well, because the problem is, up to up to that point, it seems so meticulously plotted. But all of a sudden, we had these little seeds planted of changing the course of the story because they forgot to factor in the audience reaction variable. Like, I'm not sure, and I'm pretty sure I've said this in past Summer Punk episodes, I'm not sure how much they, like, kind of realized the audience would go all in on Punk. And mm-hmm. for, rather, how, 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 however much they planned for that, for a little bit they used that to their advantage. But at, to a point, it came, It feels like it. The how warmly Punk was received for doing this it feels like something about that worked against them because it made punk a a straight up hero and they didn't have the balls to make the people around him continue to be more villainous by comparison mm-hmm. um like they didn't like triple h for outing vince and being a much more composed coo also seemed to have a lot of audience support backing him so they didn't have the balls to make him turn uh turn heel over over this either and on top of that, 
like, again, they meticulously plotted it up to a point to, like, work around the whole, like, CM Punk is actually leaving the company and we need to do something about that. But past that, the further implications never went anywhere. They clearly didn't think of where it would go past that. Nobody thought any of this through, and it just kind of became a jumbled mess as a result. Um, It's so, so frustrating to, like, see them start to get it right and then just have it all spin out. Mm -hmm. For what? Because they didn't feel like putting in the extra, like, little bit of effort to think things through further. Yeah. <sighs> and it, yeah, it, it is this, they completely had no idea where they wanted to take it Mm-mm. or what to do after, I, after money in the bank. Because like there's the, 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 the pro, like they just screwed themselves on timing because by virtue of how money in the bank works, the, there's no way, like you have to dethrone punk for this. Um, yeah, I don't like, like, it's one of those that like money in the bank only lasts a year mm-hmm. in, in, and that, that is a problem that comes up sometimes is being, as you look at the landscape of money in the bank of who's the champion right now and who's hot. And you're like, well, we gotta have, we gotta do this at some point, but this never, it never looks like it's going to be a good time. Yeah. And I think that, that, that is definitely a problem here in that. He's Del Rio's got that briefcase. He's going to be WWE champion eventually, but Punk has never been hotter. When would you exact? When exactly should he should Del Rio do this? See, there's a number of ways I feel like they could have played this to work it out better. One, they could have involved Del Rio more in Punk's storyline. I don't yeah. know how they could have fit him in, but they could have found a way to make him more involved and make his jumping in here feel more meaningful, feel more impactful to the story, and not just some random fuck you to everything that poor Punk, all the work he's been putting in since the start of this whole this whole era. Um, two, you could have had him legitimately cash in and have Punk overpower him and still win it. Um, which would have been the ballsiest move yet because that had net that had net no one had ever failed to cash yeah. money in the bank but before at that point like and it had then, been a literal guarantee like literally a hundred percent success rate and so again that would have been real ballsy to do that cash in and have CM Punk win anyway but that would have been another thing that would have tied um tied Del Rio more into the story. Give Punk a long-standing enemy that, like, means something rather than he's really feuding with Cena for the title, and Punk's just kind of in the background, like, hey, hey, give me my belt back. Hey. Yeah, he's just kind of in the the background until it's like, all right, time to win the title. Yeah. Um, Or or realistically, also, till The Rock shows up, and so Cena can fuck off and do that. Yeah. And, And... Or... You want to go really it, like I will fully admit this is me like being really selfish in my kind of like headcanon booking. Here's a wild one: have Mysterio retain the title, and Punk comes back, and he's expecting to have his big show off showdown with Cena, and he comes back and is like, "Oh, this wasn't what I was planning for," and then you get to kind of have your cake and eat it too, where 
he can still make legit like like you can still have it both where he's making legitimate points about how screwed the company is but you could you can distract better from the fact that there's not actually going to be any substantial change within the company policy by also having it be that it becomes almost an ego trip for punk of like wait this isn't the big cinematic you know twist i was trying to like yeah shadow like, script like, like and have him like. be an asshole too yeah and like because like ray mysterio isn't john cena like he, he doesn't there's not that same baggage there that allows that, that punk can latch onto in his quest to prove wwe is this awful entity like mysterio probably would agree <laughs> with yeah. some of the points he makes but still have that attitude of like Hey, it's it's about the fans, man. And if you work hard and the fans accept you, it's all good, you know? Yeah. Like have someone who can make a real counter to punk that doesn't come off condescending, both because Rey Mysterio is better at that than Cena is, and mm -hmm. also Cena Rey Mysterio doesn't have 50 bazillion dub world titles that plays into what punk is trying to that plays into punk's martyr complex. Yeah. Like and he, he has to, he has to play off against somebody who John CM Punk has won more world titles than Rey Mysterio has. Yeah. And the best and part he has to play off of that. And, 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 and then you have Cena in the background being like, Hey, I want belt again, please. And that's far more effective because we understand why Cena's going. I want belt again, please. And it works from the angle of, you know, is Cena legitimate or is he just a clout chaser? So mm -hmm. we have that to we have that to latch on to as well. Um, and then you have Del Rio with the money in the bank on top of that. Um, and you know, I'm sure WWE being WWE, they could have tried to cash in on some sort of like Hispanic rivalry bullshit between him and Mysterio. Um, that could have that could have played. Um, but it all of a sudden, like, even even if up to that point, um, um del rio isn't is is just as uninvolved with the story as he is like in how it actually happened he's entering into a much more fraught situation that just like by default of what it is is just gonna rope him in on the interpersonal drama and then he had he all of a sudden has a role to play in it and we get to like explore del rio's perspective on this too mm -hmm. just like another fun outsider perspective and it all just kind of comes collapsing in. yeah and i think and i think that if you put del rio in that story as we talked about in the first half and not the, in the beginning of this back half is like it doesn't feel as much as like oh here's the company again Yep. Screw and punk. It feel it does make you I would I would feel like at least just talking about it. I feel I would feel a lot more like this fucking interloper. What fuck you? Yeah. <laughs> you got a and good then, thing going here and now here you are inter getting getting involved where nobody wants you. Yep. And then and then we like we kind of have this bait this giant gauntlet of all these people that are involved uh, in in this kind of got dragged into it just by virtue of like Punk's chaos, not accounting for, you know, changes in the tide. And we could kind of see it play out from there of letting the audience figure out and letting, you know, letting the audience, I guess mostly letting the audience figure out like who they think is right. Mm -hmm. Um 
And then you can kind of get away with not having the big substantial change in the company because it becomes more about the people, but in a way mm-hmm. that remains engaging and not this yeah. random, we're pulling fucking diesel in for no reason to feud with punk for no reason. And it becomes a corruption thing, but not a corruption thing we're going to really nod to within the context of punk being bothered by the corruption that goes down yeah. in the company. Yeah, I think I think in the middle of that, you kind of hit the heart of the issue in that. It was like, you can't, we still, we can't do, we can't really make the big sweeping changes IRL that punk was talking about because that's Mm -hmm. not how corporations work. But at the same time, if it had been compelling TV, people would have let that go. It would have been like, man, if only we could have really went somewhere different with this, with summer, with the money in the banks and like him quitting and all that. But at least you could hang your hat on at least the stuff that came after was really good. Yeah. We got neither. We don't get. We don't really get a satisfying payoff to what the, the to what the uh, pipe bomb was going for. Nor do we even. Nor do we get particularly compelling television in lieu of that. Yeah. It's it's. I don't like, like. I'm just imagining this, and even with the scenario we set up, you could even have that ending line where Punk breaks the kayfabe names. And instead of saying that to like Triple H, he says it to like to Cena or somebody else. Well, Cena's, um, Cena's real name is Cena. Oh, Cena. well, that's his real name. Oh, uh, well, crap. Him, him, him telling Rey Mysterio, you're, I'm talking to Oscar Gutierrez would have been yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, no, but like, but something where instead of saying it to Triple H, because I, because at this point, like, dragging Triple H in on this, like, it does, it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. where it all kind of comes collapsing in on him and he realizes, oh God, I'm part of the problem too. And it doesn't become like, like this weird, like feckless plea to the authority, but more like peer to peer. Everything's kind of fucked. Let's go backstage and figure this out for once peacefully. Like I don't know, no, no way WWE would ever resolve things like that. Yeah, but, but I, like, I get you saying. But, but 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 all all this to say, like he could still have a line like that and have it work if they played it with that much more like interpersonal context rather than yeah. you know trying to make it feel like we're still criticizing the company even though we're not remotely doing that yeah i not gonna lie i have never considered ray mysterio being an active still an active participant in this storyline as a way to change it and i hate i hate that i never thought of it because that's a really good i i love the idea now that you've mentioned it i mean again i say that for per, totally selfish reasons just because i love mysterio but it's a really good idea and like see mysterio was literally wwe champion right before we rehashed punk cena again he could he had every reason to still be involved and he just yep. kind of didn't bother he yep. was totally he was cool he lost to cena and was cool with peace and out of here <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so just wasted potential is the mm-hmm. is is the unfortunate thing here but i do also want to say not for a moment like like sure the way this ends and the way this can this the way this like played out to in the back half uh of of this era is deeply frustrating and deeply disappointing and oh my god that loss of potential is oh it it boils my blood but i also want to make it clear that I don't think this cheapens the goodness of what we've seen up to this point because for as feckless, as toothless, as dumb and pointless and wheel spinny as it becomes, 
at first, when we when that pipe bomb promo dropped and up through when Punk pieced out, that is still some of the most dynamic wrestling, both both combat wise and writing wise, I have seen in my uh, in my noobish time as a fan. It's incredible, and it's and it still stands as a as a, as an exemplary um period of time for what wrestling can be at its best and i will always look fondly on that part of the era mm. and still be in awe of what they created even if it turns out utter fluke by these dipshit writers <laughs> but, I, I but 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 and 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 it does make me optimistic that if back in 2011 that was a level they could take their writing to, maybe at some point we can get a version of this in the near future that plays it all the way through. I'll keep that in mind. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I, I do have a story that I think is worth talking about, but I'd have to figure out how to play how to how to pace it. Oh, podcast. oh, God. But I think knowing that the story of Daniel Bryan is a very, it would be a very interesting sequel. Really? Because we've talked about Bryan before and he doesn't seem like a punk like character. He, it's a very different way, but I think there's a really interest. There's a lot of interesting ways in that storyline plays see uh daniel bryan's road to wrestlemania 30 plays out in a very interesting way but that is for another time i, I was just gonna say that i can't i i don't really think that i could i can i could disagree with anything you say here is that it it's all very disappointing i've 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 not felt good about this for like two months <laughs> whenever i started doing prep for this episode i was like oh god this is what this is now huh but you know what those those first those fur will still have those like three episodes in a pay-per-view mm. where uh, everything was hitting in a way that it doesn't always yeah it slapped really hard and mm. oh man the, i will never not appreciate that yep same so They've come to the end of that. I kind of liked what we did last time with the dub with the uh, WCW stuff, and go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, where what are, what is filling our modern era WWE time block. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know what I was going to do for this storyline before before I came to this idea. I'll be honest. Okay, but, but you know. I felt bad that I kept subjecting David to crappy women's wrestling. I felt very <laughs> bad about it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Because women's wrestling can be amazing. Mm. My favorite match of all time is a women's match. I've seen some really good examples of it. And why don't we talk about my favorite women's match of all time? Okay. My, my favorite, but that's for later in this plot oh, but let's okay. but l- l- we're not we're not starting with that we got to build to it david okay and build we shall because <laughs> our next modern wrestling block we will go back to the we will go to the to the the what to the to the build of the women's revolution 
in WWE. And it all started in NXT, in the development show. Oh. From a ten, across 10 months of time was the beautiful era of four women. Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, and Becky Lynch. We are talking about the, the era of the four horsewomen of NXT. Oh, that's exciting! As for next time, next time, I have a... F- I, it's not as exciting as that, I'm afraid. We return to the new generation. <laughs> SummerSlam is but weeks away. Oh yeah, we still have two more fucking episodes of that. Uh... But and and the question becomes: Two Undertakers. Was that about? <sighs> but only one. But there is one man, David. One man who can who can solve the mystery of the Undertaker. That man is Leslie Nielsen. We will. <laughs> what? Detective Frank Drebin is on the case of the two Undertakers <laughs> as we watch Sunday Night Slam, night, August 1994. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to have to watch The Naked Gun, I see. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It's even dumber than I imagined. <laughs> And with that, David, please hit our plugs. <laughs> oh, if I have to. Okay. Oh, my friends, my dear, dear friends, thank you once again for joining us on this absolutely wild train ride that is professional wrestling with, in this case, the WWE. We love having you. If this is your first time joining us, welcome we are so happy that you are here if you would like to continue joining us and you are not entirely sure how to do so never fear my friends i am here to tell you how one you can subscribe to us on youtube we are the noobs and knockouts podcast hit subscribe ring that bell like and comment and all that good stuff add us to your playlist add our playlist to your playlist lists you know Anything you can do to 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 bone up on our content, both past, present, and future, is hugely appreciated. Uh, we hope you enjoy and stick around and continue to enjoy. Next up, you can also find us on all of the best places to find podcasts: Spotify, Apple, and Google. Give us a listen. Get, follow us. Give us ratings. Tell the, the podcast algorithms how awesome we are. All that beautiful, beautiful engagement is something we deeply, deeply value. Um, you can also find us on social media. We can be found on Twitter at Noobs and Knox Pod. That's Noobs, the letter N, Knox Pod. Uh because Twitter is, you know, his whole thing about uh, about character limits. Uh, we we post memes. We interact with the broader wrestling fandom. And as always, Austin is live tweeting his wrestling uh, s- schedule experience. What's coming up for that one, buddy? Excellent. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, 
I did promise WrestleMania Backlash. I forgot to watch that show. It seems like a pretty good show, but also it had Miz being eaten alive by zombies as a movie tie-in. So I think at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. We're missing out on that one. Anyway, what is coming up? As always, I will be live tweeting AEW Dynamite, except for nights like tonight where I'm recording for this funny how that happens but as it is the only wrestling show that i consistently watch live every week we'll be tweeting that out but i also endeavor to live tweet also i'm gonna go point this out right now have no intent not the tb tbd on uh will i live tweet aew second show rampage coming friday nights at 10 p.m in august i don't know yet But throwing that, I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, also live tweeting the pay-per-views. And at the end of the month, AEW Double or Nothing 2021 is upon us May 30th, a week away by the time this episode drops. And we have the whole damn card together because they're about to get preempted for basketball, so we got to get all this stuff on the cards now or in our regular time slot. Our nine matches on this pay-per-view we have the young bucks versus john moxley and eddie kingston for the world tag team championship we got sting and darby allen versus scorpio sky and ethan page in a tag team match we got the pinnacle versus the inner circle in a stadium stampede match where if the inner circle lose they must disband we have Miro versus Lance Archer for the AEW TNT Championship. That is going to be a banger. It's going to be two beefy sons of bitches going at it. Then we're going to get Adam Page versus Brian Cage in a singles match. Will It, it will, in fact, be a rage. Uh, we a rage shall... against a machine, if you will. Indeed, we will have the Casino Battle Royale, where the winner will be get a future shot at the AEW World Championship. We will have Cody Rhodes versus Anthony Agogo in a singles match, and the less I have to say about that storyline, the better. The better. We have Hikaru Shida versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Respect. Mm-hmm. Her, she is a legitimate dentist, has a legitimate dental practice. Respect her credentials for the AEW Women's World Championship. And finally, in our main event, we have Kenny by God Omega versus Orange Cassidy versus Pac in a three-way match for the AEW World Championship. Oh, man. That's going to be a lot. Austin has some fantastic takes and discourse that he drops on the Twitter feed, on the reg. Be sure to check it out. It's good shit. Absolutely must watch the live tweet and must watch the show if you are so inclined. Uh, You can also email us. Uh, You can find us at noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com That's noobs, the word and this time, knockoutspod at gmail.com Email us, say hi, tell us what you think of our beautiful, sexy voices um, and, and, you know, drop requests and whatever else have you uh, and finally, you can follow us on our Patreon. $1 a month gets you early access to episodes and a shout-out at the end of each episode. 
Yep. Uh, see you guys next time. Hasta luego.